break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 10th of August, 2022. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. And we've got plenty for you here on the show. Today, we are going to be talking about Mali, Guinea, and the shifting sands in West Africa. Last year, both Mali and Guinea saw the military take power in what was widely seen as a rejection of the close ties those countries' governments had maintained with France amidst widespread revulsion to the neocolonial policies emanating from Paris among the population in both places. France has been widely protested across West Africa in recent years, as many West Africans place the principal blame for poverty, inequality, and internal conflicts on the French and U.S.-led order that has governed the region for decades. Roughly a year on from the events in Mali and Guinea, where the military took power, both countries are back in the news as Mali continues to be mired in conflict and Guinea's political system faces challenges from the opposition which seemed to make this a good time to take stock of where things in the two countries stand. In both countries, the question hanging over much of the discussion is when and how both may return to an electoral system, to have elections, essentially. Mali has announced it will hold elections in February of 2024 and elections for a new constitution and new legislative elections in 2023. And that was enough to get the regional West African bloc ECOWAS to remove its sanctions on Mali and also for Mali to have some international financing that had been suspended, restored. But it wasn't enough to keep French President Macron from continuing to blast Mali for kicking out French troops on a recent trip to Africa. In Guinea, the situation as it regards elections is in flux. ECOWAS claims that Guinea agreed to have elections in the next two years, as opposed to three years announced by the military government last year. The government, however, is maintaining that they did not, in fact, agree to this timeline, and it's not entirely clear what's happening in terms of what that timeline may be. The situation has turned tense between the government and some civil society groups over just this fact. This week, the government ordered the National Front for the Defense of the Constitution, or FNDC, dissolved. And this is after the FNDC had led large protests in the Capitol in late July that left five protesters dead. The military government has been engaging with the FNDC and other civil society groups over the various aspects of the transitional process, and the root of the disagreement between the government and the FNDC seems to be over that dialogue process, with the FNDC accusing the government of dragging its feet and the government accusing the FNDC of threatening national unity. In both countries, the military forces who seized power did so specifically to speak to the challenges facing both nations that they said could not be solved in the previous political dispensation. So any new elections will likely not make much of an impact if, by then, some of these underlying issues are not addressed, and in both countries, the situation still seems to be in a degree of flux. In Mali, the issue overlaying almost everything is the conflict in the north and central parts of that country with armed fighters linked to ISIS who are challenging the government. 
In northern Mali, there have been a long series of running conflicts rooted in competition for land and resources between farmers and herders. And also, the conflict has roots in the struggle of the Tuareg people who live across the Sahel for greater recognition and self-determination. Ultimately, many of the Tuareg fighters, a number of whom had close links to the former Gaddafi regime in Libya, were displaced by ISIS and al-Qaeda-linked forces who exploited the various differences and conflicts and were able to take advantage of the Malian alliance with France to build some support for themselves as something of an anti-Western force, quote-unquote. The conflict is continuing apace in Mali, and over the weekend, 17 Malian soldiers were killed in an attack by these armed groups who've also recently launched some attacks much further south in Mali than they ever have. The Islamist armed groups seem to be trying to take advantage of the fact that Mali's in the process of switching horses, so to speak, in terms of security partners, having kicked out the French and formed an alliance with Russia. Western media and the French and U.S. governments have launched a propaganda campaign against Mali, accusing them of all sorts of war crimes and denouncing them for working with Russia. The U.S. also sanctioned Mali by removing them from the AGOA trade program. Notably, the same media and the same Western nations were not even close to as loud about war crimes when France was bombing villages. The government in Mali is, however, moving forward with the long-stalled reconciliation process with Tuareg groups and their allies in the north with whom they signed a peace deal in Algiers in 2015. The government recently announced the two sides are moving forward with integrating 26,000 former rebel soldiers from the Tuareg and allied groups into the Malian army. And that's a major part of the peace deal that was made in Algeria in 2015. Now, there's a lot more for the two sides to discuss in terms of power sharing and resource distribution, but it's difficult to see how the conflicts in Mali with the Islamist armed groups can be resolved without reconciliation on this front, so it does seem to be a step forward in achieving stability in the country. One interesting wrinkle here is the ongoing legal disputes between the military government and Umar Mariko and his SADI party, traditionally one of the centerpieces of the country's anti-imperialist movement and a major player in the mass protest against France. He's been charged with a crime for insulting the military government and threatened with some other charges. Given that many figures in the military government do have ties to the former regimes in Mali that were tied to France, it does seem to raise some questions that they seem to be driving a prominent anti-neocolonial figure away as opposed to bringing him in. Certainly something to watch. In Guinea, the major underlying issue many were looking at was the issue of mineral wealth. Guinea is very rich, but because the recent governments have participated in the neocolonial looting of the country, the wealth of the nation has not filtered down to the masses. Central in observing whether the military government may be moving in a different direction is the issue of the terms around the deals for the exploitation of the Samandu mine, the largest untapped iron ore deposit on earth. The mine was slated to be developed by Rio Tinto, the Australian mining giant, in a consortium with a number of Chinese and Singaporean companies. But the deals were widely seen as being unfavorable to Guinea, with the government having only a 15% stake. So the military government stopped the project to restart negotiations. Ultimately, the new deal did not raise the government share in the mining venture, but it did confirm that Rio and the Asian companies will bear the entire cost of the $600 million railway project that will link the mine to a new port and thus make it much more viable. And the government will also get a 15% stake in that railway project, meaning that they'll get a 15% cut of the mining profits and a 15% cut of the transportation profits of the goods from the mine. So 30% of the overall value created on the project year on year. Better than before, but still, of course, more favorable to foreign investors. Either way, it does certainly represent a much more aggressive negotiating stance than what Guinea and, quite frankly, many other African governments often take towards these mining companies. 
France has yet to truly break with Guinea as aggressively as with Mali, undoubtedly concerned about Guinea drifting into a more distinctly anti-Western orbit on security cooperation. ECOWAS has also been friendlier as well, which speaks to just how precarious the situation is in West Africa for imperialism, that imperialism itself and many of their friends in West Africa are worried that too aggressive of actions could really shift the ground. Clearly, both countries, Mali and Guinea, are in a state of transition, and the region is more broadly. It's clear that across West Africa, there is dissatisfaction with the current neocolonial setup. The situation in Mali and Guinea seems indicative of this and appears to represent, at the very least, the slipping hegemony of the Western-centered model and the possibility of a shift away from that. In particular, Mali's bold stand to ally with Russia, knowing it would face serious attacks, shows clearly how the ground on the continent may be shifting. However, it still remains as much in the realm of possibility as the realm of reality at this stage, and much is left to be determined. But nonetheless, the situation in both countries does speak clearly to the fact that the neocolonial status quo in Africa is under serious pressure. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.